The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Christmas geeks and Grinches, welcome, one and all, to another edition of Wizards Half. This is mini-episode 46.5. Not only that, we're just days away from Christmas. We're all letting visions of collectibles and comics dance in our heads as we approach the big day, but we've still got some wizard details to explore. And what a great main episode we had with episode 46 with Brian Cunningham and Sean Ani on there. Just the behind-the-scenes details that we got were so fantastic the stories of Todd McFarlane's early days and starting out his toy empire. How about the origins of the Todd McFarlane ego column and Brian's hand in that? So much more. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did just having that conversation. But man, we have some fun things to get into in this issue, so I say it's time we get into my favorite segment, Cap's Kooky Contests. All right, well, last mini-episode, we were talking Lady Death, and uh, here we are again. This contest is called Thongs Are Good. Cue Cisco. Actually, Thong Song hadn't come out in 1995, but still, here we go. What's the only thing better than Lady Death? Yep. Putting Lady Death in some sort of shoelace-resembling swimsuit, and that's what your job's gonna be. But first, here's what we're coughing up for prizes. Grand prize? One overly hormoned youngster will have his or her submission professionally drawn by Lady Death artist Stephen Hughes, and it will see print in the upcoming Lady Death in Lingerie special, coming in August. Hey! We'll also hand this lucky person an original piece of framed Lady Death art by Stephen Hughes, spotlighting the winner's original swimsuit design. Second prize? A copy of the Lady Death Two Between Heaven and Hell, number one premium edition, signed by its creative team creator and writer Brian Polito, artist Stephen Hughes, and colorist Jason Jensen. Third prize, one of those limited edition extra special Lady Death beach towels for a flood of summer fun. So what exactly do you have to do to win that stuff? Simple. Just give us an original drawing of Lady Death and some hot swimsuit design on a sheet of 8 by 11 and a quarter lined paper or poster board. Remember, your art could be in any medium, oils, crayon, line art, ketchup, etc but neon inks just won't print. Also, make sure your rendition is tasteful, because any and all entries that the judges deem to be obscene will be immediately disqualified. Of course, cool, non-obscene ones that make the male judges drool are definitely in. And keep in mind that we're looking for original, creative, different pieces of art, not just beautiful ones. So yeah, uh, the Lady Death swimsuit contest. I mean, again, that lingerie issue of Lady Death now we have to put that in the archives because it actually featured a wizard contest winner's art in there. Don't know how I'm going to explain that one to my wife. But dear, it's for history. Anyway, this is pretty crazy. This feels like this is the height of the misogynist side of things. The sexist kind of, yeah, well, we're going to show off this lady and uh, you could give her little to nothing to wear. But let's see what the fine print has to say about that called legal crap that nobody reads. Except for me, all these years later. So, contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, Chaos Comics, their immediate families, and anybody who has enough free time to read this fine print crap to see what stupid little joke we stick in every month. Why would you care? 
Michael Kennedy, did you write this? Did you go back in time just to punk me? <laughs> like, that is 100% what Michael is thinking if he ever listened to a half episode. All right, let's get into part two here. Wow, I'm still, that's amazing. So here we go. Here's part two. Any and all entries that the judges deem to be obscene will be automatically disqualified. Decision of the judges is final. You actually read this far to get to the second joke? Who do you think we're talking about when we say too much free time? <laughs> okay, yeah, so I do, and uh, now you know, Wizard, it was all worth it, because it's being documented all these years later. Let's get on to the next contest and see if they rip me a new one. All right, this one says, X-Men from A to Z. To celebrate the return of the original X-Men and their titles and a brand new exciting era for Marvel's mutants, we're giving away free X-Men original art and signed X-Men comics. Free X-Men original art and signed X-Men comics? You bellow, filled with doubt? Yeah, well, this is America. Nothing's free. You gotta work for this stuff. Ah, uh, I knew it was too good to be true. But before we go into what you gotta do, look down below to see the stuff you win. So yeah, this must have been right after the Age of Apocalypse had ended, so now they're bringing the regular continuity back around and this one says name the x-men and there's a big rectangle in there so on the bottom you have gambit you have cable you have archangel you have cyclops and gene gray and rogue and domino and then in the background everybody is kind of like a barely visible white sketch so it's very faded it's almost like they're ghost people and those are the ones they want you to name they have 1 through 26 listed but Cable has a word balloon that says if you can't name number 26 don't bother entering and Cyclops says you tell him son and uh, yeah 26 is Wolverine obviously but the grand prize here is an original piece of framed X-Men art by Adam Kubert as well as a set of the after Xavier the Age of Apocalypse Epic. So it lists all those different issues and a set of the X-Men Prime issues all signed by their creators. Man, this is something kind of intense, this list. It's actually a good checklist for somebody that wants to collect them all. But let's see what they say about how you enter. Neat stuff, but we ain't giving it all away for nothing. What you gotta do is strain your cabeza and name all 26 mutants that appear in the sky above them, X-Men fellas and Cable number 20. Look at the image on the preceding page or pick up the book itself. These are all current members of the several mutant teams, X-Men, X-Factor, X-Force, Excalibur, and Generation X. You gotta be careful though, some of them are a little tricky. So if you can name them all, fill out the official looking coupon on the right, listing each mutant's name by the particular number, and send it in to the address down yonder, and then go get yourself checked for severe eye strain. <laughs> so there it is, uh, we will post this on social media, and you guys can tell us who you recognize here, because me not being an X-Men expert, I don't know if I could even make them out, we'll see how well it scans for you. The only one I could see from here that, you know, he has a very distinct silhouette is Strong Guy. But all right, let's check out the fine print, which they're calling the Legal Scramble. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, their immediate families, and anyone who can pronounce all of the Shi'ar names properly. There's something wrong with you, buddy. Well, I definitely don't fall into that category. Uh, next one here says, Offer void were prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purpose and rules hereof. Milk makes all the difference.
Yes, it does, wizard. Next one here is called Holdin' Out for Mr. Hero. Your buds at Techno Comics and Wizard Press have put their noggins together and come up with a way to get some primo, spiffy original art and comics into your sci-fi loving hands. Here's what you can get. Grand prize, an original cover sketch by Mr. Hero's artist Ted Slampyak, and Techno Comics collection consisting of Neil Gaiman's Mr. Hero, The Pneumatic Man, numbers 1 through 4, Leonard Nimoy's Primordials, number 1 through 4, and Gene Ronberry's Lost Universe, number one through four, plus a sharp-looking Techno Comics t-shirt. And here's how to win. Show us what you think Techno's favorite robotic superstar, Mr. Hero, would look like if he were from a different era. Like, what would a Cro-Magnon Mr. Hero look like? Or a Groovin' Mr. Hero from the style of the 70s? Any time period is fair game, past, present, or future. Yard entry should be on a sheet of 8 by 11 and a quarter unlined paper or poster board, and the art itself can be in any medium, oils, crayon, line art, jelly, etc. But neon inks will not print. Sorry. Were you're done with that whole thing, fill out the official entry coupon below, attach it to the back of your good-looking art entry, and then mail the whole mess off to the Mr. Hero Contest. So, I've been meaning to review some techno comics in a mini-episode. I will get to it eventually. I started reading some Leonard Nimoy's Primordials. I'll just tell you off the bat, I don't want to review that. It just was not for me. But I did enjoy the few issues of Mr. Hero that I've read, and I actually picked up another one. So I think we will get to Mr. Hero the Pneumatic Man soon enough. But for now, let's get into the legal gibberish. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, Techno Comics, or immediate families, and anybody who makes a crack about this being a Mr. Hero Illustrated contest. We never mention those guys. Oh, now that is wild. Wow, a Hero Illustrated mention. We finally found it, guys. In Wizard 46, they call out Hero Illustrated, and I will tell you that Hero Illustrated was on its last legs at this point. They were publishing their final issue, and and we are going to have a special guest on for issue 50 when we cover that, who is a mega fan of Hero Illustrated. And no, it's not me doing a voice from Heroes, the Illustrated podcast. We actually found somebody who prefers Hero Illustrated to Wizard, and he is going to tell us all about it. He's actually done an interview with the people who made Hero Illustrated, so he literally is like the Dark Universe version of our show, so this is going to be great. But here's on to the next joke. Offer Void were prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purpose and rules hereof, try guacamole on a BLT sandwich. Kicks ass. Well, you know, Jim McLaughlin was telling us he had a, a special guacamole budget set aside in the letters page at one point, so I guess uh, guacamole was on everybody's mind. All right, on to the next contest. This one says, destroy the dark. Well, that's what supervillains do. Destroy everything in sight, and it's your job to create the malevolent villain that will try to destroy August House's The Dark. But before we get into all that, here's what you can win. Grand prize, one winner, meaning everybody else is a loser, will have his or her homemade villain incorporated into an issue of The Dark. And watch as he, she, it kicks the crap out of our hero. On top of all those hijinks and fun, you also receive a framed rendition of your villain by the dark artists Todd Lidstone, Kurt Hoff, and Alan Olson. Heck, we'll even get publisher Joseph Niftali to sign it so he doesn't feel left out. Top it off with a year-long subscription to The Dark and boom, that's one powerful prize. I'd actually be very curious to know if in the series made it 12 issues for them to fully fulfill that prize. Heard of August House only by reading these old issues and seeing a few of their half-page ads, but it looks like they were trying to make one last stab at relevancy. Here is what they say on how you win. So what's this about creating a supervillain? See, what you've got to do, and what we know you can 
can do is create a cool new villain to give the dark a hard time, so basing your vile creature on the info below, put together the most kick-ass villain imaginable. Anyway, here's the background info. The villain should not be from the dark's past, but from an alternate dimension. Dr. James Quahu, a scientist working for Miss Runs, aka Futura? Miss Runs? Or is that Miss Ruda? I can't tell. The font is really swooshed together. Opens up a dimensional door in the dark number six, shipping in July. When Dr. Quahu opens the portal, a spirit named Nad Sohim, who comes from another dimension, enters his body, changing him into a being of great power, able to wield formidable magic energies. Demons from this other universe also come pouring through, trying to hunt down and destroy both the dark and the new alter Dr. Quahu. The villain you create must come from this dimension, and he's seeking the life spirit that joined with Dr. Quahu. He is perhaps an old enemy of the dark or the leader of the extra-dimensional demons. Dr. Quahu, Dr. Quahu, Dr. Quahu. <laughs> That's just me, just how many times I had to repeat that name. So what's the scoop about the villain we want you to create, along with your art, which should be on a sheet of, you remember it guys, 8 by 11 and a quarter online paper or poster board, and can be any medium, oils, crayon, line art, barbecue sauce, etc. Except for neon inks, which won't print, we suggest that you enclose a brief 50 words or less description of your villain. This will truly help us decide if your villain cuts the mustard. So there you go, the dark. They have a picture of who I assume is the dark. It's basically like kind of a ninja looking character essentially. And then it's got this big green abomination looking demon behind him, but the face is blanked out. So it says, place your villain's mug here. All right, let's get into the legal text now with Riboflavin. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, August House, their immediate families, and whoever thought up those phone commercials were the old guys on the phone, and his wife is in the background yelling, Who's Margie? And I'm sick of the circles. What? Those commercials totally suck and are annoying as hell. Wow, I don't remember those commercials at all. Try to imagine, who's Margie and I'm sick of the circles? What's that? I feel like that was like some sort of psychic thing or I don't know. If you know what commercial that is referring to, let us know. Offer void were prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purpose and rules hereof. And the commercial with the guy from My Favorite Martian asking about calling people on Mars? Somebody gets paid for that idea? Wow, okay, so they are referencing very current commercials in 1995. So tell us if you remember that, guys. And if you entered this Destroy the Dark Villain contest. Alright, here is the grand finale. The birthquake hits your home. Again! As the claims birthquake rumbles on, we're giving you another chance to jump right into it. From Solar by Dan Jurgens to Ninjack by Mike Manley, the folks at Acclaim Comics now have a ton of hot artists to celebrate. The company's revolutionary birthquake. And they're still willing to share these artists with you. Here's how. If you're one of the two randomly drawn winners in part two of this happening contest, you'll be spending a day with a star. And Acclaim artists will fly to your hometown, and then you'll spend the rest of the day hanging out, traveling around your town. Alright, so that is just repeated from the last issue where they did the first part of this contest. So if you'll recall, basically what you have to do is determine who drew the two pieces of art which is featuring an acclaim former Valiant Comics hero mixed in with the artist who actually drew it. So the first one that they're showing here is Turok, and he is looking over a bunch of eggs that have hatched, you know, would normally be dinosaur eggs, and there are all these people coming out of it, so you have to determine who drew that one. And then the next one is the Eternal Warrior, and he is in a lineup 
with three different characters, which I assume are all some artist that this artist who drew it knows. And then there's somebody who is identifying them who has obviously been beaten up terribly, most likely by the Eternal Warrior, but these other guys made the lineup. So we will post this online. You guys can tell us if you can determine which of these artists, Bart Sears, Norm Brayfogel, Bernard Chang, Rags Morales, Jackson Geis, Mike Manley, Paul Glacey, or Dan Jurgens, and even Val Mayeric from the Windjammer imprint who has drawn the Magic the Gathering comic, who was involved in creating these pieces of artwork. All right, on to the legal stuff. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, acclaimed comics, their immediate families, and people who can't even find the shovel in the tree when they read highlights in the doctor's office. Do you remember those highlights magazines pictures where they were hiding images within images? I sure do. Oh, highlights magazine. I much preferred when they would do it in the funny pages and in my Sunday comics newspaper. All right, here we go. Offer void were prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purpose and rules hereof. Why would anyone want to live in California with all the quakes happening there? So there's babes and perfect weather and celebrities. Well, I guess that's why. <laughs> I feel like, again, Michael, did you sneak in here and write this? Who would want to live in California? Yeah, well, it was the lot I was given in life. So there you go, everybody. Those are Cap's kooky contests for this time around. But now it's about to get strange around here for the holidays as we examine the ho-ho-hoary hosts of Hagoth. So it's time to get into Robin's Reading Rainbow. So a while back, I picked up the first 12 issues of the Fate series from DC Comics, where they reimagined Dr. Fate as an intense, brooding 90s hero as part of Zero Hour. I didn't deem it worthy of a full review, but I decided to contrast my experience with Fate with Marvel's version of the same thing in 1995 with Dr. Strange, where they killed the Sorcerer Supreme and gave him a more hip and youthful redesign. And I mean, I gotta tell you, after reading issues 70, through 79, my head is spinning. This run was written by David Quinn, the creator of Faust, who I mentioned during my discussion with Brian and Sean on episode 46, I am not a fan of. Just don't get his writing. And had I known ahead of time, I likely would have avoided these issues and just said, oh, okay, this is not going to be for me. But just to mention, we have reviewed his work previously on Robin's Reading Rainbow when he did the short-lived and not great Kane at Harris Comics. So, as a result, I'm not going to go issue by issue, but just hit the major plot points and characters in this last rights event. So the thing to understand about this era of Doctor Strange is that Stephen Strange gave up the title of Sorcerer Supreme after some sort of disagreement with the Ancient Ones. He didn't want to join in some battle or war they were waging. And so the title was given to a sorceress named Salome, who infected Stephen Strange with some spell that is killing him. So at this point in the stories, Strange is floating around. He's skinny, he's kind of sickly and shirtless for some reason. He's also shaved off his facial hair. 
and he's just traveling through this dimension, this other sanctum that he built based on his own body structure, and he's on the hunt for these magic artifacts to help him defeat Salome. So it's kind of like inner space with magic. So as he passes through various organs, it's really actually kind of bizarre looking, but not in like a cool design way, more of a hard to visually comprehend way. There's also vertical page layouts where you have to flip the book 90 degrees, and there's obviously not a consistent art team because it seems to change up every couple of issues or even within the issue every couple of pages. But anyway, getting into the story on the earthly plane at this time, Doctor Strange has created doubles of himself to take care of his affairs while he's on this quest or while he was dying or I think he may have already died. Anyway, a businessman named Vincent Stevens is his human form handling all his business affairs, but with the most ruthless and manipulative personality traits of Stephen Strange. He's kind of got this evil inner monologue, but he's always sweet-talking everybody he's doing business with. Meanwhile, there's a masked caped being in spandex named simply Strange who handles the adventurous missions with like a singular focus kind of like Clue from Tron Legacy now I only knew about the Strange character in the 90s because he had a trading card in the Marvel Masterpieces 1994 series by the Hildebrandt brothers so I was like oh okay kind of a weird faceless masked Doctor Strange that's what I thought the redesign was I didn't have any idea of what was to come anyway another character floating around who means really nothing to the story but is just constantly popping up is this ethereal, ghostly female named Nil, who is constantly bugging Doctor Strange about teaching her to be more human or allowing her to help him, but she's really just an annoyance to the Doctor and to the reader. The same can kind of be said for the storyline taking place in another realm where Clea, who used to be like Doctor Strange's love interest, I think they were married at some point, but I don't know, that she's battling Dormammu, and it's just kind of pointless to Stephen Strange's journey for the most part. We'll get back to it in a minute, but to me, I just felt like it was padding out the issues. As the story begins, Strange meets with Agamotto, who informs him that his lost love, Clea, is forming an alliance with Dormammu, which confuses him, and he senses that his strangers, as he called them, are also up to no good. They're meeting together in an attempt to merge and overthrow him and become like the dominant version of Strange. So he finds this helmet artifact and a sword that he creates of etheric magic, M-A-G-I-C-K, that is created from the Earth's Gaian aura. He keeps talking about how he doesn't have like the Sorcerer Supreme powers, but he can always pull from the Earth's. It's kind of trippy. It's some of the stuff I don't quite understand. But what happens is he does this and then he emerges from a grave in a graveyard, but the body is like missing chunks because he's being consumed by entropy, it says. So I guess just his body is slowly taking itself apart. So he eventually summons a full suit of etheric armor to keep himself together while he's on this quest and we see that he actually has three different missions in mind. So he's going to confront his strangers, try to stop this merging, stop Clea's alliance with Dormammu, and defeat Salome. So yeah, I mean this story is just, it's padded out with a lot of distractions when it seemed like they were just trying to get to one point. Next up, we're in a high-rise office where we learn that Vincent Stevens has created something called Technomag 
magic that he wants to use to merge himself with Strange, and he's trying to convince his brother, if you will, to merge permanently because Strange's body is disintegrating. So Doctor Strange confronts them, he attempts to talk sense in the train, but Stevens is attempting to get Strange to kill their father, who he's saying has made them slaves, we gotta get rid of him so we can merge, and so they want to be this, you know, singular entity, but of course Stevens just wants the control for himself, and wants some of the Strange power. So Stevens activates his techno magic, but Doctor Strange absorbs it with his sword and uses it to restabilize Strange, but then overloads Stevens and kills him. You confused yet? Yeah. It is so hard to keep track of the names of these characters, right? Because they're so similar. Anyway, this drives Strange into a rage because he has lost his chance to merge. He thought he was going to get this freedom. He's blasting off the top floor of the high-rise and attacking Doctor Strange, declaring, We are both dying, but I will make sure you die first. To which Doctor Strange responds, So be it. But if we're both dying, we'll die together. But Strange removes Steven's helmet and claims his sword exclaiming, Finally, the supreme force of magic in the world is strange. One thing I want to say about this etheric armor that Doctor Strange is wearing is it's drawn like his translucent orange kind of Roman centurion helmet and armor covering this shirtless Doctor Strange. It's kind of a cool effect. You know, you can just see through it. It kind of makes me think of the X-Men Trevor Fitzroy action figure armor, but in orange instead of the blue that was see-through. I don't know if you guys remember that toy. Anyway, so they continue to battle. They're putting innocent lives at risk as Doctor Strange tries to calm down his double, who says he wants to understand what it means to be human and he's been denied that because he just had to do whatever Doctor Strange told him to. So Doctor Strange like summons this portal or just creates a vision, whatever he's doing, shows Strange Clea that she is in danger in the other dimension because she has been betrayed by Dormammu and so this creates pain inside Strange because he has never known love and because he's part of Stephen Strange who has those loving feelings for Clea, it's now consuming him. So Strange agrees to be transported to protect Clea and their conflict ends. Now, with two missions down, Doctor Strange finally confronts Salome, who has literally been searching for him through like four or five issues. She's just been like, where are you? Face me, blah, blah, blah. She just wants to prove that she is a better Sorcerer Supreme than Stephen Strange ever was. So she's got this massive inferiority complex. But when they finally fight, Doctor Strange proves he is more crafty and experienced, taunting her with, pay attention. You may just learn something. I'm temporarily banishing your limbs. Each will be sent to a different non-contiguous realm. He does this because if I understand correctly, Salome casts her spells through dance movements, so if she has no limbs, she can't do those movements, so she can't fight him. But either way, she still manages to start draining magic from Strange, but it turns out that all she does is cleanse him of the contamination that she originally put into him, so now he is revitalized and redesigned. Yes, he comes out with a new look. So, just to describe it a little bit, he has a massive red 
red spawn-like cape, a black full-body leotard with these blue accents. But most strikingly of all, he now has long hair with a white streak in it, but he is also buff and looks 20 years younger. So he claims now that he has magic from within and he blasts Alameda bits and calls his cloak to him as he wanders the streets of New York in the morning light, stating, from this day forward, let the world know that Dr. Stephen Strange is once again its Sorcerer Supreme, as he throws on a pair of John Lennon's circle lens sunglasses and just continues to strut. The issues following his rebirth basically just find Dr. Strange patching up his relationship with Wong, who he had apparently had a falling out with prior to this storyline. Dr. Strange ends up making Wong his second-in-command at his corporation. I think it's called the Tempo Corporation. And they basically just have a much more bickering, lethal weapon-style relationship rather than, like, kind of servant and master. You know, my man, servant Wong. Not the case. So the two of them together are setting right the shady business deals that Vincent Stevens had set up and put into place. So you have Stephen Strange playing the role of Vincent Stevens, so it's kind of an alter ego for him. But the other thing about it is Strange is now much less grandiose and more hip in his language and his attitude to match, you know, this new youthful look. And he's getting pursued by women while he's trying to run his business and fight earthly like the mob or magical threats. So if you look at him, though, in, in attitude, he is basically Tony Stark, which is funny since Doctor Strange is basically the new Tony Stark in the MCU these days. As we close out, I'll just mention so there is a very kinky scene where these two sex workers dressed as nurses break into Doctor Strange's office and start getting into some like domination rough stuff with him which has the doctor super confused but it turns out this was a thing that Stevens was into and he set it up as a weekly event so they were just hired to come in and do what they do so instead of going along with it because that is not his thing Doctor Strange hires Belle and Jasmine yes most assuredly named after Disney princesses to work for him as personal assistants. And then whatever's gonna happen, who's he fighting this week? I, I stopped reading at that point. Here's what I'll say. Obviously, David Quinn, not my favorite writer. I feel like this explanation that I've given to you is what you needed to know. There's so much more just meandering talk about magical stuff and realms and existence and all these things. Like, it's so philosophical, but then a lot of just like gobbledygook kind of made up I'm going to assume, or just stuff I don't understand about magic and all those things. So it, it, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of filler. Stuff you just don't want to sit through. It's not entertaining. The art, like I said, is so inconsistent that, you know, aside from like this issue where it was like the final part of the last rites, issue 75, which actually had like a little hologram effect cover and stuff on it. Who is the new Doctor Strange? You know, like that was a good issue. And like the two issues around it, I felt had some good good artwork, whoever they got to do that. But overall, it was not an enjoyable experience. It actually took me quite a while to read it. <laughs> and it, it is mentioned actually in Wizard 46 that this was the end of David Quinn's run, and then a new writer was going to be taking over and taking it in a new direction, which my understanding is that this new writer just put it back into the old Doctor Strange look. Like, this new look didn't last for many more issues. So, <laughs> it's kind of like, hey, nice idea. Still nobody cares about Doctor Strange. All right, back to status quo. So yeah, it's not anything I would recommend checking out because it didn't make it more exciting. It didn't make it more extreme. It didn't make it more interesting. It just made it more confusing. Too much going on, too many storylines, 
too many characters that ultimately just didn't amount to much, didn't grab my attention. So there you have it, the Doctor Strange reboot, redesign from 1995. And uh, hey, let's get on to something else. All right, now it is my sad duty to report. I didn't see this one coming, but the end of the top 10 heroes and villains list. If you might recall last episode, in issue 45, they had dead the top 10 heroes and villains we'd like to see dead. They were all Mort of the Month, so there was no Mort of the Month, and now we may never get another Mort, because I've looked forward in the issues to come, and all the way up to issue 50, there's still no top 10 heroes and villains list. Maybe they just got tired of writing about that stuff month after month, but it is a sad day indeed. But, you know, they're still hanging in there, letting you know what the top 10 hottest comics are. So let's take a read here. In the number one spot is X-Men Alpha number one. And they say, hello, jumping five spots from the last top 10, that'd be wizard number 44. Number 45's top 10 was wacky. You guys might recall that was the top 10 funny comics. Marvel's premiere, and if you ask us, just gosh darn underused, Super Team gives the Gen 13 kids a flying head scissors to take them out of the top spot. So what makes this book hotter than Pam Anderson in a no-piece swimsuit? <laughs> Three things. One, the word X-Men is on the cover. Two, it has a number one on the cover. Three, it's pretty friggin' good. For those of you who might doubt all this and take the hands-off approach thinking it to be nothing more than a big stupid what-if, just pick up Alpha and give it a shot. The whole crossover's got top-notch art and, more importantly, a really good story backing it up. But what's it all about? Well, you see, Legion went back in time to kill Magneto, only he killed his dad, Professor X, instead, which resulted in a completely different cast of X-Men that are now struggling for existence in a world where Apocalypse is king. Oh, so now you're convinced. Join the crowd. Get into this story. So yeah, it is interesting to see that after Gen 13 have been on top for so long that now the X-Men come raging back with the Age of Apocalypse kickoff. Although I will tell you, next issue's top 10 list has something to do with Gen 13 in a very unique way, so stay tuned for that. But speaking of which, in the number 2 spot, Gen 13 number 1 from the miniseries, they say X-Men Alpha number 1 may have pushed Gen 13 number 1 out of the top slot, but it sure didn't push it far. As for you Gen 13 fans who are grumbling and growling over this issue being bumped from its King of the Hill slot, again, Lady Death number 1 toppled it in Wizard number 42 after 5 months in a row, but it came back in 44. Don't work yourself into a frenzy or nothing. With the ongoing Gen 13 series still stoking the coals, and with the news that there's an animated flick in the works, we're betting this yearbook starring five teenagers endowed with some pretty wicked powers and cool personalities ain't gonna sit idly at number two for long. And hey, this freaking top ten list could use some good shakeups once in a while anyway. Number three is The X-Files, number one. Talk about your conspiracies. Where'd this book come from? Well, your favorite alien abducted junkies have jumped straight from the small screen to the fabled pages of comics, now on a monthly basis. And you can read all about Fox Mulder and Dana Scully exposing those government freaks for the corrupt, conniving weasels that they are. The hit status that the show has garnered has apparently carried over to the comic book, making it a pretty hot commodity on the trading block. Speaking of the show, don't you think it's more than a coincidence that a guy named Fox is on a TV show on the Fox Network? And why are the crackers in the peanut butter cracker snacks neon orange? Hmm. That does sound like conspiracy, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, in the number four spot, we've got Lady Death number one. Now here's a brilliant plan. 
you're banished from Earth until there's no more living beings walking around. So what do you do? Why, well, you try to kill off every single person on the planet so you can once again walk the mortal world. Sounds ludicrous? Well, that's exactly what the powerful Lady Death's trying to do, so you try and talk her out of it. Anyway, it kind of reminds me of an awesome Twilight Zone episode where Burgess Meredith finally has all the time in the world to read, and he goes and breaks his glasses. That's probably why he wears that monocle when he's the penguin. Hopefully, with Lady Death, will get a hold of old Burgess, but from his Clash of the Titans days, that guy should not wear a toga. <laughs> I like that cross-universe stuff there. Very fun. All right, number five is she number one. Hey, here's an interesting fact. Creator, writer, artist, and all-around swell guy Billy Tucci has reprinted she number one. So all you fans out there can get a copy of this schflurgle, hey, I'm getting sick of saying incredible, awesome, great, fantastic, book. Now, what's this mean to the first printings of the issue remains to be seen. It could be that fans will no longer look for original copies of this issue since they can get the same story for just a few bucks. However, the opposite may hold true as well. More readers will now be turned on to the hottest babe assassin the side of Electra, and that means more fans, which means more scrambling for first printings. You know how them fanboys can be. Number six is Gen 13 number two of the limited series. Well, looky here, another Gen 13 book. What are the odds of that? The low print run on this issue, along with that same great story and art help make it a much sought after book anyway how's about just for kicks we try to come up with 13 things that rhyme with chin okay here goes ben hen again dan pen this is too easy let's do some tougher ones x-men peter tamarkin the press your luck guy commissioner gordon tolkien the muppets take manhattan captain america sans america of course Guinan and Margarine. And for those of you paying attention, yes, we've run out of things to write about Gen 13, and we're reduced to mindless babbling to take up space. It works, though. Number seven, Lady Death. Between Heaven and Hell, number one. The Queen of the Dead's newest miniseries not only pits her between heaven and hell, but between number six and eight on the charts. In this issue, Miss Death, the one without the onk, that is, recalls her origin, but it's not as rosy as she remembers. That's thanks to a certain other female fury named Purgatory, who's out to steal all of Lady Death's power for herself. And if you thought that lady chick was bad, get your head out of the sand. This Purgatory freak who's got some pretty sick wings and horns actually bit Lucifer. Yeah, you heard that right. She took a chomp out of Beelzebub. Satan, the Lord of the Flies, he who drinks milk out of the carton and puts it back, the devil. That can't be good for you in the long run. Well, if you enjoyed our review of this last episode, who knows? Maybe we'll be back to the world of Lady Death someday. That about covered it. Number eight is Ash, number one. You knew it was only a matter of time before this book became hot. That, my friends, is the longest stretch for a pun we've ever attempted. Fans have always warmed up to Casada and Palmiotti's work, and their creator-owned firefighting superhero Ash is no exception. Top-notch artwork and innovative storytelling makes this one a definite fun read. Plus, it's got big, fluffy, fat cats. What more could you want? Well, how about a really cool costume on a guy who rides a purple motorcycle? Wait a minute. Purple? And his real name is Ashley? So let me see if I got this right. Ashley, our hero, has big, fluffy cats on a purple bike. Hmm. If we weren't so sure Jimmy and Joe would come over here and beat the crap out of us, we'd insert some off-color jokes here. Next. Yeah, probably wise of you, wizard. You just uh, saved yourself some trouble <laughs> years later. Number nine, Vengeance of Vampirella number one. The true original bad girl still kicking, or biting, I should say. Fans just can't seem to get enough of her, though they certainly see enough of her. Look for fan interest to hit an all-time high, though, when Vampy's honest-to-god origin is revealed in her regular series. Shucks. We really like the original origin, which involved her having been rocketed from her exploding planet Draculon and sent to Earth. Actually, that 
part's not so original at all, but she lost her wigs and had to take blood pills to stay alive, although she's partaken of plasma quite often during the past year. There's also that new truly bad, bad girl, Vampy's Enemy Passion. Talk about evil, this babe's soaking in it, so bad girl fans have plenty to pant about. And finally, in the number 10 spot, Amazing Spider-Man number 400, The Collector's Edition. What better way to celebrate Spidey's 400th issue than by bringing Aunt May out of a coma? And then killing her off. Wahoo! Ding dong! The witch... I, I mean, the ant is dead. Fa-la-la-la-la. Uh, well, to tell you the truth, this is actually a pretty good issue. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. We're always ragging on those Marvel guys. Especially about Spidey and his 10 gazillion clones. I mean, what were they thinking? How could... Uh, sorry. But we really enjoyed this particular book. And Aunt May's death, while a long time coming, was handled thoughtfully and poignantly. So grab a box of Kleenex and check out this milestone issue. Of course, if it turns out that it was only Aunt May's clone that kicked the bucket, we take back any nice things we've said about them. <laughs> So there you go, guys. The top 10 comics for June 1995 is the cover date, but I'm going to say this was for May 1995. So yeah, there you go. Uh, kind of an interesting mix there, but nothing too surprising. We'll see what comes around next time. Like I said, it's uh, a little extra special. Oh, well, I guess that does it for this episode. Yeah, we had some fun. We had some laughs. We had some uh, strange adventures. Yeah, don't think I'll be getting back to those Doctor Strange books anytime soon. Let's talk about what is to come on Wizards, guys. Uh, recently, we posted uh, about Wizard hitting the online space, right? We posted about, you know, this uh, new AOL thing that they were participating in. And I made a post on Twitter that riled a little bit the guys who used to handle the Wizard online presence back at this time, Buddy Scalera and Russ Wooten, who was actually a participant in those forums, and even Mike Fasolo. So they want to set the record straight. They've all had their individual interviews, but we are going to have a, a special interview so that you could hear what they have to say, what they think was you know, the effect of Wizard World, what type of online comics trends that it started, and what it could have been had uh, you know some decisions upstairs not led Wizard into obscurity. So stay tuned for that, but in the meantime, go over to YouTube because we are adding new videos. Yes, I promised it. I'm getting them to you. Of course, we'd also love to get those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts just to raise the profile. Keep doing what you're doing, sharing the show on social media. You guys rock, and you can contact us if you need to. You know where we're at. Wizards Comics on Twitter, at wizards underscore comics on instagram once again just want to wish you all a very merry christmas hope you enjoy it and we can't wait to get back to you the next wednesday following christmas with episode 47 two more special guests coming your way yes returning guests but never on the show together we have sean robert and paxton holly from the cult film club podcast guys we just couldn't stop talking on this episode so much great conversation it's a stocking stuffer for you so stay tuned but until next time keep your books bagged and boarded This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.